Hello, everyone. This is Michael from Kendo World, and welcome to another KED Talk. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Ivo van Roy from the Netherlands. Uh, Ivo is 30 years old now and began Kendo when he was 18 years old uh, back in Holland. Uh, after graduating university where he studied uh, design, uh, he then went to the International Budo University in Chiba Prefecture, Japan, uh, to do their one-year Budo specialization course in Kendo. Uh, after that, he spent some time in America training over there, uh, come back to Japan to work uh, now uh, in the computer game industry. And at the moment, he's uh, just gone back to the Netherlands for a break at Christmas, where we're talking to him now. Uh, so, Ivo, uh, welcome to KED Talk. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. I was trying to think earlier on today, when was the last time we actually met? It's been it's been several years since we've uh, bumped into I it. Think, I think, yeah, I think that the last time we like physically met was probably at the first Kendo World, um, what was it? The kind of seminar thing inside of the Budokan with Inoue Sensei. Right, that was back in then 2012. Yeah, like seven, eight years ago. Yeah. A bit more than that. And actually, you and yeah. some of the other students from the university helped us on the day guiding guests. And who was that? Was it was it there was you and was it Fanny and um Yosef? And uh no, yeah, maybe the, I, they were not in my year, but uh yeah, we were in the year like uh, Esteban Hernandez from Colombia and oh, right, uh, right. Yokine from Finland. Uh yeah. So uh, that was a very interesting uh, event. That was my first, I think, proper meeting with uh, a whole lot of Hachidan in a very small room. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a great event for those of you that um, are not familiar with it. We started doing, uh, us at Kendo World started doing a yearly um, Keiko Kai, a Kendo meeting. And we invited a lots of Hachidan. I think at that one, we had eight or nine Hachidans and uh, the well-known Inoue Yoshihiko Sensei, uh, who sadly passed away a few years ago, who wrote the Kendall Kata book, uh, he took training. It was uh, fantastic. And Ivo and some of the other graduates or, or students at the time from the Budo University were actually helping us out and guiding people and making sure people got from one place to another at the event. So it was great. I, I can't believe that was the last time we met then. I think so. Yeah, I I don't recall like because I've been traveling around a lot, and after I graduated from Budai, I I basically went back to the Netherlands. So I I didn't really spend a whole lot of time in Japan. I mean, obviously I saw Alex a few more times because I visited him in Osaka. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's been like seven or eight years or longer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go back to the beginning then. So as I mentioned in your introduction, you started uh, Kendo when you were 18 years old and that's in Tilburg. Was that right in the, in the Netherlands? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I wouldn't say small. I mean, compared to Tokyo, it's small, but it's uh, a city in the South of the Netherlands. Uh, and yeah, basically one of my friends said, Oh, you like Japanese stuff. Why don't you do Kendo? And I was like, well, I don't know what Kendo is. And he's like, well, I do Kendo. Why don't you join me? Um, and that was my very first time I, yeah, I, I kind of got in touch with Kendo. Um, at that time, I think we were like three, maybe four people in the dojo. Everybody was like beginners. They, most of them didn't have Bogu. Um, the teacher was a Nidon, uh, a Nidon guy who was also, you know, like just a, a regular person. So it was a very small club. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where I started. And that was your main club for a few years then while you were while you were in the Netherlands? Or did you join out into yeah. other clubs after that? Uh, well, I, I really didn't know anything about like the whole kendo scene at all. So for me, the first, at least the first year, I think, uh, all that I know that knew that was kendo was that little club. I didn't know there was a national federation or, you know, like these things weren't told to us. It was just like, oh, here you have a Shina and just swing it around. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, so then eventually I, I registered for the, the national federation and there were like these central practices that were held, uh, and that's where I went. And I, I was so surprised to see that there were, instead of like 
just three or four people in the whole club that we were there. I think back then it wasn't even that big. I think maybe we had 40 people or 50 people at a central practice. Uh, uh, and that was one of the bigger ones at the time. So yeah, that was like a whole new world. And I saw so many different perspectives. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool experience. But joining that first club then, you said it was very small. It was, it was kind of love at first sight with Kendo then. You realized you were into it straight away? Yeah. Yeah. I had the first practice and uh, it was mostly just Suburi. And then, you know, there was one or two people who had Bogu. So we were allowed to do, you know, men hits on them. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. You know, so like pretty much, I guess every beginner, you know, I, I came back home and I went online. I was like, oh, what is Kendo? And oh, look at all these beautiful Bolu that you can buy online. And I was just super excited the whole time and just waiting every week. Like, oh, when is it Thursday again? When I can I go back for this one hour of practice and feel really, you know, like excited wearing Hakama and Gi eventually. Um, so, yeah, I was that was pretty cool. Just uh, what, what you going back a little bit further than that, something you mentioned just before, your, your friend that took you to the dojo said that you were interested in Japanese culture or, or Japanese things, and that's why he thought you should go. Um, what, what was your kind of interest in Japan at that time? Uh, it was a lot, actually. So um, one of my high school friends, uh, that I, I think I met him when I was like a year 14, 14 15 years old, uh, his dad is an English teacher and he teaches at the same school where they also have Japanese classes and he would join those uh, Japanese groups going overseas back to Japan and he would always bring extra stuff back for his son it was you no know, but at the time it was like uh, the only friend I had um, and he would bring all these random kind of Japanese stuff back like bay blades and anime or manga you know like really like a lot of different things that or gacha things um so i kind of got introduced by my friends into japanese culture in that kind of sense um and then in tilburg we also have a group called minami ashigara which is i think uh kind of like a japan focus group in in our city um and yeah, we we kind of got introduced to the Japanese food there as well. So for me, it was like a, a, the whole package. And then, of course, you know, anime was such a big thing that, uh, you know, it's a big influence. I really like watching it. And uh, yeah. What are your favorite anime to, to watch then and now? Or are they still the same? Oh, back then, like, I think one of the very first, I remember very vividly, the very first anime I watched was like when I was a younger kid. Uh, it was uh, Gundam Wing, which for some reason came on TV and I, I didn't really understand that, but it looked very cool because they had giant robots and everything was super cool. Um, and then obviously Crayon Shintan, uh, you know, like that's the, we, I don't know why, but in the Netherlands we had a, um, a Dutch dubbed version of it. So I could understand what they were saying and I was surprised okay. that they were allowed to, to actually air it. But yeah, those were, those were pretty cool. And then when I got more into the, the anime, like, site where you you know you go online and you watch the animes that you like i think uh full metal alchemist that was like one of the bigger ones that i watched that was like wow this is really you know impressive um and from there on you know you just roll into like the the typical ones i watched a little bit of naruto i watched a little bit of bleach you know like the typical ones um and yeah lately i think I really like the art style from Makoto Shinkai. So, you know, the movies like uh, Your Name or uh, Garden of Words. or It's, uh, it's more like movies, but or five centimeters a second or something like that. Yeah, those are, are pretty good, but that's mostly the art style. Oh, wow. So you had a, like a, a great interest in Japan then, even before, you, even before you set foot inside a dojo. So that was yeah. the first time then was when you were 18. So I'm assuming that you continued doing kendo throughout university did they have a club a, a club there or was it in in a, a local town type club uh well i'm i'm well it's not really university it's more like a college uh kind of thing so it's like a, a grade below i guess um or at least in, in dutch standards but that was actually in my hometown so i was able to keep practicing and continue practicing there um and then at one of the central practices uh Jauke van der Wouden, uh, 
the current captain of the Dutch national team. He, you know, I talked to him a little bit and he was like, well, if you really like Kendo, then why, why are you not going to Japan? You know, it's like the place to be. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. Uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, you can go to the International Buddha University. Uh, I can help you out with some, some documents. And the, the Federation has already done it for other people as well. So they can help you out as well. So I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. And after I graduated from my college, then I kind of applied for that one. And yeah. So how, how old was that when you finished college? 20, 21? Uh, I was 20. Yeah, I was 20. And then I went to Japan because the Japanese year and the Dutch year uh, are different, right? So mm. the, the Japanese year starts in April and I think the Dutch year starts in September. Um, so I graduated in July and then I had to wait all the time until it was March and then I could actually go. Um, so I arrived there when I was 20 and then my birthday is in April. So basically the first month I was there, I already had my birthday party. I turned 21 and then basically the entire year, my, my 21st year was at Budai. Yeah. Very like lots of new experiences. So I think we should probably just briefly explain what Budai is uh, to, to the people that are listening that don't know. So in a really small town on the coast of Chiba in Japan, a, a town called Katsura, you've got uh, the Nippon Budokan Kenshu Center, which is a huge uh, training center and you can stay overnight there um that's run by the nippon budokan and they have every year or not recently obviously but the international seminar of budo culture which is a three day or three night uh four day uh budo extravaganza which just is really just a, a booze up for four days but also in that town as well you've got the international budo university uh, which obviously does Budo like Judo and Karate and um, Naginata, all these sorts. But it's also quite well known for its baseball team. And um, I think American football it has there as well. So it's not only not only Budo. But at this university, uh, they have a one-year Budo specialization course where uh, students from overseas can go over there and train in uh, kendo, judo, karate, uh, naginata, sumo, uh, all the main Japanese budo. Um, yeah, and they stay there for a year. And we've had from the kendo world team, Alex never did it, but I think uh, Hamish and Greg and Tyler, uh, there might be a couple of others, have all gone there uh, for a year to study in kendo. And have all ended up staying in Japan for the rest of their life up until now there. So, yeah, that's uh, Budai as its as its its short name is what it's known. So, Evo, you went there as you just said when you were twenty, and very soon turned twenty-one at um, Budai. So, how yep. was that change then from from going? Uh, I, I guess you said kind of a fairly small town in in Holland to. An even smaller town in uh, in, yeah. in Japan, but how how was that change for you? Uh, well, I mean, in terms of of people that live there, you know, it was it was a complete change because my city in the Netherlands is I think two hundred thousand people living there, so it's it's not a huge city, but it's it's decent enough. And then you go to Budai, and I don't know, it's like maybe twenty thousand people live there all together, including the 2,000 students that they have at, at Budai. And most so of the uh, people that live there are probably over 60 as well, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a, a huge category, right? You have all these Obatan, Ojitan, like the old grandpa and grandmas just walking around on the streets, uh, watering the flowers and that kind of stuff. And then you have like these bunch of students just driving around on the scooters the whole time. So that's like the typical view that you have there. And, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's uh, it really, it, it's like located on a hill. Um, or as we would say in the Netherlands, it's a mountain. Uh, but yeah, it's it's amazing there. You can see the ocean, you can see the forests. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was definitely an experience. That's true. It's actually Katsura where it is. It's one of the, the premium surf spots in Japan as well. So it's, People from the university tearing around on motorbikes, or pe people in their 60s and above 
in little mini cars and loads of surfers hanging around there as well. It's quite a, it's a unique place in Japan, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is unique. And it was my very first experience with Japan because obviously I'd never been outside of Europe in, in the first place. Um, so that was so unique for me. I was like, wow, this, this place is amazing. And I didn't speak a word Japanese. Oh, maybe I said, could say konnichiwa or something, but like I couldn't speak a word Japanese. And then you have all these Japanese students and you have the, the Japanese teachers and everybody in the city. Nobody wanted to speak English or at least nobody did. Um, so I was like, uh, I don't know what to say. It was just, it was just a very unique experience. That's for sure. So actually on that program that you were on, you would have weekly Japanese lessons or was it more than once a week? Uh, it's more than once a week, but, uh, obviously when you go there for the Budo specialization course, right, the main, main thing is, uh, the Budo you do. And back when I went there, the only two Budo you could pick were Kendo and Judo, right? So you had people that do Kendo come there for a specialization year. Same for Judo. I think these days you can, for like five or six different Budo, you can come there. You could also come there for Kyudo or uh, just for Aikido or those kind of things. Um, but yeah, the, the main focus is, of course, the Budo part. And um, I think we had two or three hours a week on different days where uh, we would learn Japanese in all different types of ways, right? We had like kind of like a culture class where we do like shodo or ikebana, like the flower arrangement or the calligraphy or uh, the tea ceremony kind of thing. Um, then we had like some actual proper Japanese classes, you know, where you, you get homework and you have to learn all the hiragana and katakana and just try to build up from there. Um, we also had like a, a more, you know, like kindergarten culture class where we would, you know, sing uh, children's songs or uh, learn how to fold the, the kabuto from the newspaper or, you know, oh, those kind of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So it's, it's like you get introduced into all these different aspects of the Japanese culture. It's not just only kendo and only studying from books, which was really attractive for me, right? Like I, I really found that a useful way to learn because I'm terrible at learn, learning from books. I, I just have to do. Um, so, yeah. Well, that must have been great for you, obviously already having a, a real big interest in Japanese culture or the anime side of, uh, of the culture and then, and then to be exposed to all these other types as well. Um, yeah, definitely. So what, what grade in kendo were you when you, when you headed to Budai? Oh, I mean, obviously, because uh, I just started, I didn't have a grade at all. Um, oh, really? I think we did some, yeah, I think we did some internal Q gradings, like 6Q, 5Q, 4Q, I don't remember. Um, and then right before I went, the, the president of the Dutch Kendo Federation actually said like, ah, yeah, I know we agreed that you could go there, but, you know, you don't have a done grade yet. So uh, maybe we should like see if we can like, sneak you in in some uh kendo grading somewhere else in europe so we can just you know like at least get you there with your show done so i think two weeks or three weeks before i went to japan uh they they kind of said like oh there's one in in belgium where you can uh, take show down um, so i went there and i passed and i arrived in japan as a fresh show down super proud that i finally had like a done grade mm -hmm. uh, and then you you get completely picture ass there by all these other students who've been doing kendo for like what almost 20 years yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah so a fresh show them yeah so how how did you find the, the change then from the first your first training at budai then oh it was gruesome it was gruesome yeah it's uh all these people were so excited and the, the whole focus of the practice was different as well the, the clubs that I was practicing at, we were mostly focusing on, on Kihon, you know, like basics, um, doing a lot of suburi and uh, just, you know, exercises where you practice a strike and you have a motodachi. And then when I came to Japan, there, there was no such thing. It was like, we have our warming up and then after it's Jigeko for two hours. Um, right. So that was my first experience. Like, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. I'm, you know, uh, yeah. You really enjoyed it or was it kind of intimidating at first when you when you first had to do Jigeko with all these these Kendo uni kids? 
well, I mean, obviously it wasn't my first time doing Jigeko. Um, cause we, you know, we had those central practices in, in the Netherlands as well. Um, and I, I realized, you know, going there as a fresh showdown, even though I was like, Oh, I'm showdown. Uh, I realized that I would get beaten up there. So, you know, just having, having fun with the students, especially with the third and fourth years, uh, it was just super cool. There was like a really nice vibe. So I, I don't think I was very intimidated. Um, I noticed that my body was lacking a lot. You know, I didn't have the stamina to, you know, like really go all out for the full two hours. Like these students would, um, my feet were like in no time, like messed up, you know, I had <laughs> blisters everywhere. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my arms hurt and had like blue spot, like bruises everywhere. But yeah, it, it was definitely a, a very good experience. And especially because the students, you know, they, they are so fast and every student has its own, like has their own personality. I remember a guy that would do like, oh yeah, let's do Jupon Shobu. Uh, so like 10 point match. And then he would score those 10 points in like 30 seconds. And he'd be like, ha, I got you. And then he would just walk off. And I'd be like, what happened here? Uh, and then you had other students, you know, that were like a little bit more serious. And they were like, okay, let's like try to have this communication in the Shi'ai or in the Jigeko. And they would like really try to push and see if they could like get something from me. And they would try to give something back. So it was like an amazing opportunity because they were all students. But even within the students, there were like so much like different types to practice with uh, it was yeah it was amazing so what would have been a, a, a typical practice then for you at budai what is it in the uh, uh, is it like asageko in the morning or is it lunchtime or or in the evening yeah uh it was it was a lot actually um that was like the thing when i very first came there you know like the official classes hadn't started and everything yet so when we heard that there was like Asageko and one of the fellow Bekase, the people who do the one-year course, already went to one of those morning practice and he didn't tell us. We felt jealous because we were feeling like we were missing out. Um, yeah, that definitely changed over the year. Um, so our regular sessions were when everything was like like 100% into it. I think we started... Um, every day, except for Sunday, we would start with Asageko, one hour from seven till eight. Uh, then I would go back, eat something, get changed. And then we had four periods during the class, uh, during the day. Um, and those could be anything. They could be, uh, Shi'ai class where you would learn how to do, uh, um, Shimpan. We would have Kata classes where we do like the Boktoni Yorokendo Kihon Asakeko, you know, with the, Mm. The kihon kata um we would do real like the the kendo kata but with the uh, habiki so with like a metal sword so you get like a real feel of like the the uh, tsukamaki or you know that, that kind of stuff um and after those periods we would have bukatsu which is basically club practice and uh, that was the main practice of the day and those were usually i would say two and a half hours we would start at 4 30 and we would end somewhere between six and seven sometimes going as late as eight depending on if there was like a tournament or something going on um and i was doing different budo as well because i got introduced to multiple stuff there because it's the budo university so i i initially went there doing kendo only um but i you know i was introduced to kudo and to yaido so i tried to incorporate those as well and our yaido practices were i think two or three times a week from eight o'clock in the evening until ten o'clock in the evening so I, I would also go there um, and then I would go to bed because next morning at seven, I have to be in the dojo for Asageko again. So um, like at, yeah. at Asageko, it was compulsory to attend at that point or? No, it was free. People could join. Um, I, guess... I think for the serious, the serious students, right? Like as a Becca, as a, um, you know, like the specialization course foreigners, so to speak, it, you know, people want you to, or the sensei wants you to be there, but there's no real consequences if you come or not. I, I, I know a lot of stories of students who don't even go to like the regular practices. They just see like, oh, Buddha is a nice year off where I can, have, where I can party in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think for the regular students, the Asageko is compulsory. Most okay. of them have to be there. Uh, the, the sensei are pretty strict. Like, okay, you have to be there and uh, do like the full hour of practice. Yeah. So 
what what would the the, the asageko then what what would it usually consist of was it just as you said just a few kirikaishi and then jigeko for the rest of the hour uh, I think when I was there, because I've, I've noticed that it changes every year. I go back every two years to the university to, to like correct my own candle back onto the path that, you know, they, they do at Budai. Um, and it has been changing a lot. But when I was there, we would start off at seven, I think seven, no, 6.30. We start off outside. They have a track and field. Uh, we would just run for 20 minutes. Um, then we would change and then we go into the uh, dojo. We would all do like our, our warming up together uh, with stretching, that kind of stuff. And then you would find a partner and most of the exercises were Uchikomi Keiko based. Uh, so the full length of the hall, you would do like man, man, man or Kirikaish or, uh, you know, like where you, you do the, uh, you go for man and then you do Tayatari, you push and you go for man again and you push and you go again, just these kind of exercises and then I think the last fall as well isn't it it's yeah it's three and a half shiaijo long uh so it's it's very long mm. uh I, yeah I was I was destroyed especially the first half year there that like was just me like slowly building up my stamina I think the second half of the year there I felt more comfortable doing everything um but yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's a long haul. It's, it's tough practice, but then again, you're there with a lot of students, right? I think at my time we had 300. Yeah. I would say about 300 kendoka there. And then for Asageko, you know, although it was mostly compulsory for the, uh, the students who really want to get higher, you know, the ones who want to be in the, the Budai team. So I think we would have at Asageko maybe 60 or 70 people. We were there always every morning and then maybe another 20 or 30 that, you know, like would come occasionally. Um, so you would go in rows, right? You would have like the whole length of the hall and then the next couple would go and then the next couple would go. So you would have a short break of like half a minute before you had to go again. Um, but was yeah, that, it was... Was that short break enough time to recover? Or could for you... me, it wasn't. For the <laughs> students, it was. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Especially in the beginning. I think at the end, it was fine. I, I could do it. But that's because, you know, you're doing it every day. And yeah, yeah. you're getting into the same vibe. Um, yeah. That, that must have been such a good experience for you. Kind of still really early on in your kendo career, I suppose. Doing, doing that amount of hard yards right at the beginning is like giving you a really good foundation from which to, you know, to, to build onto. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I you know, like when I talk about it like this, I I really do feel that that is in a sense is true. Um, but I I very vividly remember that when I was there, I felt it was the opposite. I felt like oh, you know, like we are already going into you know this jigeko period so fast, right? There's there's not a whole lot of kihon practice, and they basically expect you to already know how your body has to move. So when I was there, I really rem I remember thinking like, oh, you know, all these students, they had like four years or five years at, you know, like elementary level and then at like high school level, another four or five years where they got really instructed on how to properly use your body and your hands for like the right tenuchi or the, you know, fumikomi, ashisabaki kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I, I just came there as a fresh showdown, you know, so I, I knew I had to have my right foot in front and my right hand in front. But, you know, like how to move your body properly and how to use like really good tenuchi. It felt to me that that was a little bit like going over my hat too fast. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely a good experience. Yeah. How, how did you cope then? You said uh, earlier on that you could basically only say konnichiwa and stuff like that in Japanese. So how did you cope during the actual training sessions with the, with the lack of Japanese ability? Was it just simply just watching what the sensei was doing or watching the other people around you? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, especially during the first few practices, that was the case. Um, I was also very lucky that in my year, we had a girl called Marina Kodato. Um, she's from Brazil and she spoke oh. Japanese, right? So she did a little bit of translations uh, where, you know, like we were really in a pinch. Um, and one of the big advances or, uh, advantages of Budai is that, you know, I, I told a little bit about those four classes that you have every day, which are different types of classes. You know, you have the Japanese ones and all that stuff. Uh, we also have like an hour and a half allocated at that time for me, it was on a Friday evening before Bukatsu. 
um, with a Hachidan sensei. So you just sit down with the other Bekase. I think we were 15 people back then. Um, and we would just discuss stuff with this Hachidan sensei. We could ask questions. The sensei would prepare stuff uh, that he wanted us to know about. So obviously, you know, like in the first few classes, we discussed like how does practice at Budai work? Um, what do you have to do? And he, he just... He just basically said, just go up until other students and be like, onagaishimasu, and then just follow them until they, you know, do jigeko with you. Uh, and then go to the next one after they finish and do the same thing. So that's like the first introduction that we got into, like Bukatsu and doing Budai Kendo, yeah. Okay. Who was that sensei that, that was was talking to you there? Is it I Ijima sensei? Yeah, Ijima sensei, yeah. Ijima Akira sensei. Yeah, yeah I think for, for those of you that have... I'm familiar with the international seminar of Budo culture. He's one of the the main kendo instructors, and in there it's it's a uh, very very difficult to fight against. He's a huge guy and very strong. And I think he got Hachidan. He must have been really young when he got it. I think. I think that most of the people who went to uh, the most teachers at Budai, because you also have like Iwakiri Sensei, Maruhashi Sensei. I think all of them passed their Hachidan before they were 50 and i think ijima sensei and iwakiri sensei both passed it when they were 46 i think i think iwakiri sensei was a little bit older i think when i first started going to that that budo seminar there was um uh, makita sensei and ijima sensei were already hachidan and then iwakiri sensei and marashi sensei were nanadan and then they they both got it they got it a while ago now, but imagine that at one point in that university for Hachidan Kendo senseis was uh, fantastic. But that's really yeah. good that they that, that that one of them would sit down with you and you'd be able to just have a an hour and a half just picking their brains about different things. It's you wouldn't normally get that in in any other type of situation, I don't think. No, exactly. And what I found really interesting and liberating that is that we were talking about like literally anything that was remotely connected to kendo um we we talked about very basic stuff i remember that he told like one of the students like run to your room and get your hakama so i can show you guys how to fold it and how to wear it uh i mean that's a, a interesting experience to get that from a hachidan uh, because it's you know it seems like such a basic thing um but then, you know, like he would also uh, bring videos from the All Japan Champions and we would like sit down to analyze those. But we would also go over like old school movies, uh, you know, like the Jidaigeki um, kind of stuff where they have like these dramas that play uh, like samurai, you know. And he would be like explaining on how these people run and what the history is based on how they move their ashisabaki in the movie. Uh, or he would just sit down and tell uh, tell us about how he went golfing last week and uh, how it's always good to have something apart from kendo that it's not always only one focus uh, and that you know that helped him a lot passing his hachidan you know like these they're they're connected but they're so random that you don't really expect them to you know be part of kendo talks with a hachidan sensei mm -hmm. at a kendo university so yeah that was very good yeah. Okay, so the the big practice that was maybe two and a half hours in the evening. Um, you, you mentioned the earlier one, the the Asageko was um, kind of a bit of running and stuff, and then all the length of the dojo doing different things. What what was the um, what was the evening practice made up of? Much of the same, uh, so longer. Yeah, uh, we would start at four thirty and. Um, we would start with a warming up. I think we would do 10 minutes of warming up. And then everybody would sit in, in uh, you know, like city. It says that everybody would sit down. And then if everybody sat down, one of the students, usually a first year, he would run downstairs to go grab the Hachidan Sensei. They would all, you know, like come up, walk in, sit down. Uh, then we do like Mokso. We do like the proper Rei. Uh, and then all the students put on their men super fastly. And then the teachers would go to the side. Um, then all the students would do like Jigeko, um, and then the teachers would like stand on the side and look like, okay, what are these people doing? So they could give proper feedback of students fighting students. 
And then after like 15, 20 minutes, uh, so that's like a half an hour into the practice around five o'clock, the teachers, they would put on their bogu as well. And then it was like at least an hour of jigeko. Uh, and then I think the last part, the last half hour of the practice uh, would be something similar to like, uh, like asageko, right? So eventually the teachers would take off their men, they would sit on the side, they would look a little bit at students. Then when it's time, they would like hit taiko. So all the students would stop. They would all gather, gather on one side of the dojo. And then we would, the teacher would say like, okay, now we're going to do this type of uchikomi gaiko. And they would like go all the way through the length of the hall. And then, you know, especially Iwakiri sensei, he's like very, you know, powerful to the students. He would like walk with a huge ass boken and he would like, well, I wouldn't say beat them up, but he would like force them to move faster in uchikomi gaiko and like really, you know, push these students to the limits. Um, and then after that, it was again, the, the taiko, everybody would line up in seiritz, everybody would sit down, take off their men. Um, and then the two and a half hours practice were over. So everybody would line up for the sensei that they had the chance to practice with, uh, get some feedback and then just go home. Or in, in my case, I would get changed for yaido and go back to the dojo. But yeah, that was like the general practice every single day, uh, for, uh, five or six times a week. Wow. So was there much chance to, to practice with the Hachidan senseis? Did you get to at least once a week or, or once a day? Because I imagine that there's like uh, 250, yeah. 300 other kids in the, in the kendo club as well, isn't there? So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it wasn't uh, easy. And, um, you know, in the beginning, the Bekase, you know, the, the foreigners, so to speak, didn't really have a clear idea how stuff was going on. Uh, but apparently the students would, before the practice, already decide on um, the the lineup, right? So they would beforehand say, okay, today, this person, this person, this person, this person, et cetera, uh, you guys are going to have practice with this sensei in this order, right? So everybody knew kind of what their number was at what day. And then, you know, the Becca say, the, the students, we, we didn't know stuff, so we would just line up. And then we would stand there ready and be like, oh, there's only one person or two people in front of me. And then the student would come and be like, oh, and then he would just go in front of you and you'd be like, what the hell? And then you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm just waiting for this guy then. And then the same thing would happen and the same thing would happen. Um, and then usually the, the sensei would be like knowing, you know, like oh, yeah, these are foreigners. They don't know how the, the number system works. So mm -hmm. he would go to the next student in line and he would say like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do Keiko with this person right now or with this person right now. So I think on average, uh, and I always lined up for the, the sensei, um, even though, you know, like the students sometimes were like, oh my God, this guy is always cutting in line because we already made this like position order in uh, advance. Um, I think I got to practice with the sensei three times a week. Uh, different sensei, of course. Makita sensei is extremely difficult to get in practice with. First of all, because uh, he only goes to practice once a week. He just has too much stuff to do with other dojo and that kind of stuff. So I think I could maybe the opportunity to practice once every two months because it's just so, so filled up. And then Ijima sensei and Iwakire sensei, Ijima sensei was obviously the first Hachidan, so he was like higher in the dojo, so most people would line up for him. And he would try to make time, so I think I could practice with him once a week. And then Iwakiri sensei would be twice a week. So that's like my, my about three times a week that I could practice with them. And those are only sessions of like two minutes each. Mm -hmm. But what a change, um, yeah. though. Like you said, you're starting from a, a small club where you were in Tilburg and... The, the 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 main guy the lead teacher at the dojo was a, was a knee down and then you're I'm, I'm sure you know trying to do their best to, to give you a good start but then going straight into that environment after not very long so you'd only been in kendo for like two years it must have been then before you went to to the yeah yeah i was a complete beginner yeah <laughs> wow what a place to be a beginner though at the practicing so much i'm, I'm quite jealous to be honest <laughs> I was very lucky. The, the only downside is, you know, like, so they, they saw where I was coming from, especially Ijima sensei and uh, the Yaido sensei, Kanada sensei. Um, they really saw that I was struggling because of my, you know, like 
prior kendo education, so to speak. Uh, so we talked about it in private as, a lot as well, just the two of us or the three of us. Um, and they kind of emphasized that when I would go back, I would have to start my own dojo. Um, because even though I was a shodan, you know, like I've been taught by them for a full year. Um, and I felt, and I, I think that that's kind of the reason why that, uh, I, I, they kind of understood that I saw what they were trying to teach. You know, mm-hmm. I'm obviously I'm, I'm not good at it. I'm, uh, I'm not a high done level. So, you know, I can't do the same stuff as them, but at least I got the focus point of the university, uh, correctly. So they really helped me with setting up my first dojo. Right. They would uh, sit together with me and they, uh, they decided on like the, the name for the club. They decided on uh, what the types of practice should be. I think for the first entire year that I was in the Netherlands, I had like a written schedule with them, like basically from minute to minute saying, okay, warming up is like this. Then Kihon is like this. Then Jigego is like this for every single practice for 52 weeks. Um, so that really helped me a lot. Uh, but then again, you know, I was in the Netherlands. I was after graduating from a university where I was practicing with 200 people every day. Uh, I went back to the south of the Netherlands to my hometown. I started my own dojo and we had four or five members uh, and I was teaching. Right? So my own candle at that time really halted, uh, which, which was kind of a shame. So I think if I would have like continued to practice like I did at university with the same intensity, I would definitely have been been better and uh, yeah, I've probably understood kendo a little bit better than I do now. But yeah, did did they give you an opportunity to go for your nidan grading while you were there at, at Budai, or didn't? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ijima Sensei told me he said, "Oh, I really want you to do your nidan examination." So I was very happy about that and. Um, I was like, yeah, but I don't understand how to do that in Japan, right? I, I don't understand any of, the, any of the Japanese federations or how to even register in Japanese for one of those. He's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll arrange everything for you. I was like, okay, then just please let me know the date. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, can you let me know when you passed your showdown? I was like, well, it's like a, a few weeks before I came to Japan. And he's like, okay, then I'll look for an examination in Japan during that time. Like that's right after the one year mark that you're allowed to go. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, it's on, on this specific date in March. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's super cool. I'll, I'll go there. Uh, we had like some kendo sessions, you know, like one-on-one where we were talking about, okay, what do I need to do for my need on examination? He showed the, uh, the questions that were asked uh, for the theoretical exams and how I would have to answer them. Um, and then, Eventually, he came to me and he said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, but your kendo examination is on the same day as the graduation ceremony from university, so I can't allow you to go. I was like, ah, damn it. So I came back to the Netherlands in, I think, the end of April or maybe the beginning of May. And uh, I did my kendo examination there in the Netherlands. And I luckily, I passed. But, yeah, I didn't have the opportunity to do it in Japan, sadly. So what were the real big things that you learned then from, from your time at Budai? So obviously it's a very intensive one year with, as you've already described, like tons of practices every day and not only kendo, but let's just focus on kendo. What I'd like to say, maybe one or two of the big lessons that you learned while you were there, things that really helped you and continue to help you to this day. Um, I think one of the very practical things is because the, the hall at Budai, you know, it's unlike most halls in, in Europe, I think. Uh, it was very slippery, right? It's a very smooth wooden floor. It's very difficult to, you know, move because you just feel like you keep sliding and sliding. And I remember Iwakiri Sensei just coming up to me and he put like the shinai like on my left foot. Uh, and he's like, okay, now try to do a man from that position where I don't move the left leg before you know like a lot of people have like this tendency to do this small step of left and then try to do the tobikomi he's like just put his shinai like straight on my foot uh i mean it kind of hurt but it, it you know i i remember it very vividly and then he looked at my foot and he said like oh okay you're gripping the floor with your toes too much um which means that when you try to push off you use your toes for grip and the toes are like a very you know, small surface. So it's easy to slide around. He said, like, try to lift your toes up 
uh, the floor is like, try to lift your toes and then try with those lift toes on your left foot, try to push off. And that really helped me for like a very slippery floor to actually be able to push with my weight and push with my leg. So that's a, a, a practical thing. Um, and yeah, I guess I just under start, I learned a little bit of how the, the Japanese and dojo dynamics go. Um, because I was only used to this small dojo with three mm. people. I didn't really know much about etiquette, uh, which was very obvious when I first came there. You know, I didn't know how to do proper day. I didn't know how to properly sit down. And I think that got me into trouble a few times, you know, with other students, because they kind of expect you when you go there that you know these things. So these are things that I learned, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as, as you mentioned a little bit before that, they really wanted you to start your own kendo club when you moved back to, to Holland and they wrote out essentially a, a whole year's syllabus for, for your club. So how did you find that then be, becoming the, the, the teacher at a dojo? Uh, well, I was a little bit, you know, like scary, <laughs> um, but, um, part of the, um, the preparation for me making my own dojo was going with Ijima Sensei to, um, uh, to the Kenshu Center or to a high school uh, and just have me as a motodachi or as a teacher for the Japanese kids. Because he, I guess he figured that, you know, people in the Netherlands from my city would be the same level as elementary kids. You know, you could say do a men and they would be able to do it, but there's still enough to improve on. So I, I, kind of like gotten into this role of already slowly starting to teach. Uh, not really, of course, because he was doing the teaching and it's just mostly me seeing it. But I think that helped a lot. And yeah, when I, when I came back, it was just, it felt very natural. I had uh, some friends who like were friends before uh, they started Kendo. Um, and they kept doing Kendo and they came to my club. So it, there was like this very, you know, friendly vibe going on. It's just my friends and me doing something together. Uh, and I'm the one telling them how they should do it. Cause at that time I had the most knowledge about it. So yeah, that felt pretty natural. So how many people did you start with in the dojo? Uh, I think officially we started with four people, um, me, two kendo people and one kudo person. Um, Cause I immediately wanted to try different stuff, but that didn't really work out. So I, when I came to the lens, it was mostly the kendo people. So I, I think three or four kendo people. And then slowly that increased. Uh, the first college that I did before I went to Budai was a design college, as you said. Uh, so I did a lot of graphic design and those kind of things. So I, I kind of knew how to make posters and flyers and that kind of stuff. And I really like pushed on the, you know, the promotional side. And I really tried to get like as much knowledge of Kendo and Tilburg out there. And that seemed to kind of work because I think as of today, like right now, I think we have 45 members in the club, like consisting of Kendo, Kudo, and Iido. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it in, grew. <laughs> in, in terms of dojos in the Netherlands, then, is that is that quite a big one with 40 members or...? Um, it depends. I think most of the dojo have about when you go there and physically practice with them, I think most of the clubs are around 10 people, 15 people. Uh, you have the clubs that are slightly bigger. Uh, the one where, uh, Donatella Castelli sensei is practicing or, um, you know, the, the Rotterdam club where the, most of the national team members are practicing. Those are, are obviously a little bit bigger. Um, and then, like I said, the, our dojo has 40, 45 members, but they're spread out, right? Some do Kudo, some do Yaido. And I think that currently, we, when we practice, we have somewhere between 12 and 15 people at a Kendo practice. Um, so we're not like the biggest, definitely not. But we're also not the smallest anymore, which is, uh, is satisfying. Yeah. So obviously, like Ijima Sensei and, and the others at Budai kind of helped you give you ideas about what you wanted, what you should be doing with the dojo. If anyone else is thinking of starting to, to run their own dojo or found their own dojo, what's some good advice could you give them for 
some mistakes maybe that you made that that, that people should avoid or good things that you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think originally when I came back from Japan, I wanted to be uh, I wanted it to be uh, a one-on-one copy of what I was doing at the university, and I think that was kind of a mistake because you know some things just don't work as they do in Japan as they work into uh, or, or as they work in, in Europe. Um, at the university, Kohai Senpai was a, a big part. Uh, you know, like it, it's just so ingrained in Japanese culture, and uh, I found it a very important part. So I tried to incorporate that as well uh but maybe i like stepped a little bit too hard on the you know like this is how you know it is at at washington that's the name of my club um but yeah i i you know like those are the things that i think are both important but also it's basically the same thing right i think it's important to get as close as possible to the the ground truth so to speak but also be careful that you don't push it too much uh because, you know, it's a different culture. So mm. cultural aspects are, are something that you have to be slightly aware of. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess also at Budai, the, the, the kids there have probably been doing kendo for, I don't know, 14, 15 years by the time they make it to the university. And they obviously yeah. have a, a deep understanding probably already of, of the ins and outs of kendo and what you're supposed to do in the dojo and things like that. But people that are starting kendo when they're young adults or, or in their middle age have not got that that background to it so yeah yeah i mean like one of the you know like the examples that i think uh is, is very familiar in other clubs as well you know like when you say to in, in japan to somebody okay grab your shinai right hand forward right foot forward left hand backwards left foot backwards uh in japan they will do it they there's no like reply they will just or maybe like height or something mm. that's it and then i remember in the netherlands like often enough they say like oh yeah but i'm left-handed so i'll do it the other way around okay and i'm like no because <laughs> this is you know and it's it's just you know it's like a cultural thing uh it's just i guess a little bit different and that's things that you have to work with you know um every culture has its difference and i think in the netherlands it's easy to speak out you know like you're more on the the same level. It's less hierarchical. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's easier for a student to say something to their teacher in like a more similar way. Well, if you would do that in Japan, it would be very much frowned upon because they're like, you know, we are a different level. Right, right, right. So that was a kind of one type of difficulty then just... Okay, so... Uh, actually, you, you had spoken a little bit before about how you were you went to design college and you used that to help promote your 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 club Washington. Is that right, Washington? Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing all, all of the promotional materials that you were putting on Facebook and like your logo looked fantastic and there was always stuff, always stuff going up on Facebook and and that. How 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 important was that part of uh, the, the social media aspect of your club how how important was that to its success i think that it's a combination of all the different things right i i decided to really put my money on everything right bet up bet on multiple horses so to speak so obviously you know i did facebook um we did uh instagram we had both you know like just me posting stuff uh, as well as paid advertisements um then we did like the, uh, you know, like just actually printing flyers and having myself or students just walk around in the city and just putting it in, uh, in the mailboxes of people and just hoping that they would, you know, come to our website. So then I also wanted to make sure that the website looked like really, really properly. Um, I, I think I did a lot of uh, searching on the SEO checks make sure that you know the website would mm-hmm. pop up uh, as the first one uh, when you type in something like Kendo Tilburg or just Washington or whatever. Um, so that worked a little bit. Uh, and then other things that I also did was uh, together with my students, I had a contact within our um, local city office kind of thing. Um, and we got the opportunity to do uh, some sort of program where we would 
basically go to elementary schools and we would take over the PE classes for three weeks. And instead of them having regular, you know, like gym classes where they're like running around or playing soccer or whatever, uh, we would teach them kendo. We would like go over like, okay, today we're going to do, uh, this week we're going to practice men. And we would like give them all shinai, we would, like play games with them where they have to do like certain games, like hitting balloons or whatever, or oh, right, uh, right. trying to hit tennis balls or these kind of stuff. Uh, and then we would just continue building on that for three weeks. And then we'd go to the next elementary school. So we really try not to just promote Washington, but also to promote the idea of kendo, right? Give everybody this familiarity with, with what budo and what kendo is. Because obviously everybody knows judo, but kendo is, is still a little bit smaller in the Netherlands. And I think the combination of, you know, like all these different things, like paid advertisements and us physically flyering out in the city and uh, teaching at elementary schools really helped to, you know, put Washington on the map uh, and grow as a club as well. So, yeah. Fantastic. So I think that's a good lesson for anyone listening. Yeah, that's uh, make sure you're, I suppose your social media presence is, is very good. And um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I've not heard that before of, of going into elementary schools in, um, obviously they're, they're, they're in a lot of elementary schools in Japan. Um, so kids are going to naturally be exposed to it at a much younger age than they are in, in Europe, I suppose. Um, so how long uh, were you back in uh, the Netherlands before you, you went to the US, right? That was the, your next journey? Your yeah. Next... Uh, well, US was part of my third education. So uh, after I, I came back from Budai, I started my club. Uh, and then eventually I enrolled into a new university because obviously design was a, a cool college to graduate from. But it didn't feel to me like I you know, could find like a decent job in, in that field. And then I came back from Budai and Kendo is not you know, like something where you can make your money off, you know, like full time. Uh, although that would probably be very cool. Um, but especially outside of Japan, it's just not possible unless you do something like Taro Ariga and you make like a, uh, what's it called? Like a, a Budo Bogu shop uh, where you can sell stuff, right? But from actually doing Kendo, it's, uh, it's kind of hard. So I decided to go into a university that's called International Game Architecture and Design. Um, and it's basically a four-year course of how to make AAA games. And part of that education was me going to Los Angeles and study there or work there uh, as, as part of the study kind of program um, to basically get myself introduced into the industry. Um, and obviously, I was looking for like some kendo clubs there as well. So you're doing kendo in LA, right? Is that in Los yeah. Angeles? How how did you find that then after so after spending all that time in the in the Netherlands? Uh, yeah, well, initially I messaged uh, Taro Ariga because I met him during the European Championships in Macedonia because uh, he was there obviously selling stuff for Abel Group. Um, so we met there, we talked a little bit, and then uh, when did I go to LA? I think two thousand eighteen, late two thousand eighteen, probably. Uh, so I, I messaged him and I said like, Hey, I'm coming to LA. Do you know, like, is it possible to practice at your dojo or do you know any dojo or, you know, like where they have like a, a good level where I can like, still improve. And then he said, well, I'm in Irvine, which is kind of far South. Uh, so he didn't think it was possible for me to come there every week to practice. Uh, so he kind of introduced me to a dojo called West LA, West LA Kendo. Um, and he, uh, he sent them a message, uh, saying like, Hey, I've got this Dutch guy, uh, uh, here's his number. And that's how we got in touch. I messaged them or they messaged me. We had like a little bit of contact and, uh, I just went to their club. Yeah. So how long were you there for? It was just one year. Uh, no, it was less. It was, I think six or seven months ish. Yeah. But obviously, you know, like I immediately started doing kendo there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a rather short time, but it was a very enjoyable because, again, it was such a new culture for me from, you know, like the cold, rainy, snowy Netherlands where the sun doesn't often shine. 
to, you know, like my experiences in Japan where everybody is super polite and respectful and very silent and everything is about, you know, like at least in my, my surroundings was about Kendo. And then I went to LA and I was at like Muscle Beach and Santa Monica and, and it was just such a, you know, American experience. Um, that was, was very interesting, but it was very nice to see that the Kendo community is pretty much the same everywhere. Right? It doesn't matter if I'm in Ukraine or if I'm in uh, Poland or in uh, Spain or in Japan or in the US. Uh, everybody has the same mindset. It's very, very friendly and open. Uh, so yeah, I felt very welcome in, in LA and it, it still feels a little bit like a second home because oh, no. I was just you know so so welcomed by everybody yeah so you then obviously just a few months in in la and then back to uh, the netherlands and then how long were you there until you you're now based in japan so how how yeah. how long did you did you move here so uh when i was in la i um i got the request from sony uh to see if, like i could also do a, a program with them for like half a year um, the idea was that I would fly from LA, but there were some uh, issues with the, uh, what's it called? Certificate of eligibility that the Japanese government has to issue. Right, right. Um, so I flew back to the Netherlands. I think I stayed there for a month, maybe. And then the certificate came in. I got my visa. I went to Japan. I went there for like a little bit over half a year, a little bit longer, I think. And during that, that period, uh, they all offered me a full-time job. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just go back to the Netherlands, pick up my stuff. Uh, I'll fly back to Japan and I'll start working there. So I flew back to the Netherlands. Corona happened. I was stuck for almost a year in the Netherlands without a job, without a home, without, you know, a whole lot of stuff. Um, and then finally the borders opened up last year. And ever since I'm, I'm in Japan and oh, it's Christmas now. So I decided to fly back home. Maybe not the smartest choice because I've, I've seen the news and, uh, yeah, we'll see if I can get back to Japan. Well, I but think it, yeah. I, I think just just for for people that are going to watch this on YouTube, today is um, December the seventh, twenty twenty one, when we're videoing this. And I think the day you left to go back, or the day after, that's when uh, they closed the borders again um, because of the new Omicron variant of uh, of Corona. But I think you will be all right because you left before the that change yeah, I think, made so i think if you if you try and leave after i think that's a bit more of a problem but yeah but, uh, i have the advantage that i have a five-year visa and that my re-entry permit has been you know like approved so it should be fine but we'll never know what what's going to change because i'm going to fly back uh in about a month so the like somewhere in uh halfway in january and we just don't know what's going to happen in the future right mm -hmm. so Maybe there's no problems. Maybe I'll have to stay in a, a quarantine hotel for a few days or, yeah, who knows? Mm. Fingers crossed. So you, you came to Japan at a bit of a tricky time, really, because there's not that many practices or, or there are, but they're not maybe going at full swing at the moment. Um, yeah. So Tokyo and uh, Osaka and maybe some other, you know, big cities that were struck by corona because you know it's just a big population and everybody's living pretty close to each other i think those had special issues or like statements issued um we had obviously the state of emergency um and for tokyo or at least my areas where you know it would be possible for me to practice if there was practice uh, most of the dojo either they fully closed so there was no practice at all uh, or they would only allow practice for current members and not take in any new members right so i've i've been to kendo practice and i asked if i could join their club and they said like i'm sorry we we're not allowed to do this right now um so it took me i think four or five months if not longer just completely without kendo in japan which felt very awkward because i knew there were so many kendo clubs um and then eventually it was a little bit um it was a little bit relaxed and I uh, got into a club, but the practice sessions were still very limited. It was 40 minutes of candle practice, uh, including the warming up. So we had like 10 minutes of warming up, then uh, 20 minutes of uh, mawari geko, 
And then like the last 10, 15 minutes with the Jigeko with the sensei. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't a whole lot. And I'm, I'm very happy that, oh, this also goes for universities and schools and pretty much everything was closed. Uh, but yeah, the, those rules are even more relaxed right now. So I actually have the opportunity to practice a little bit more. And I also had the opportunity to practice at different universities. So, uh, you know, going to different parts of Tokyo, like Shinjuku or Tsukuba or Koto, it's like a little bit more, uh, more relaxed, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think hopefully if this Omicron variant doesn't get too embedded and, and things don't really go, go crazy with that, then I think hopefully the situation with moving around to different practices is going to get a bit easier in the new year. But uh, I think we're just going to have to wait and see at the moment. Yeah. I'm curious when I can visit uh, Kawasaki. uh... Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to have the next Kendo World Keiko Kai in July next year. We haven't been able to do it this year and we weren't able to do it last year for obvious reasons, but uh, hopefully uh, that will be up on, uh, that will be up and running again next year, at which case you won't have to work at it. You'll just be there this time just to, just to take part. Of course you could work at it if you wanted to. Yeah. I don't mind helping out. Yeah, grateful for the help. But yeah, when, when, once things, once you're back, then we'll get you down to Kawasaki as well. And, and um, another good sports center I go to in, in Machida is very good. So we've been talking uh, for a little bit over an hour now. So um, it's getting up towards my bedtime. It's uh, just gone 11 o'clock here in, in Japan. So it's been a really fascinating talk uh, with you, Ivo, about your experiences, particularly at Budai. And it sounds like it was a really formative experience for your, for your kendo career. And mm-hmm. hopefully that that's going to, you know, keep paying dividends for, for years and years to come. And, I'm guessing that many of the people listening to this today and myself included are pretty jealous of the experience that you, that you had there. So, okay, well, let's, uh, let's tie this up then. So Evo, thank you very much for uh, spending an afternoon where you are uh, with us today. Yeah. And it's been a really fascinating talk. So Evo, thank you very much. Same. Thank you very much for having me and uh, take care. I'll, I hope to see you soon. <laughs> been a pleasure. Thank you.